0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 270. Today is Sunday the 25th of March 2018, and this interview is with Monique Rhodes. Monique is a singer, songwriter, and producer born in New Zealand. She has toured the world, performing and composing music. Monique has produced two platinum-selling albums in New Zealand, toured Europe twice with Chuck Berry, and collaborated on music projects and some of the most well-known inspirational teachers in the world, including the Dalai Lama. Monique also founded the 10-Minute Mind. A truly wonderful online guided mindfulness program. In this interview recorded at South by, Monique shares with us the inspiration and motivation for her work, not only what makes the ten minute mind work so well, but her driving purpose. A marvelously inspiring person. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I'm Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Monique. I am so happy to have you on my show. I, I feel like I kind of get to know you, and I suppose that's a very creepy kind of thought, because I get to listen to you in my um, in, in my bed as I wake up in the morning for the last five days. So, Monique, um, you have uh, a fantastic background, musician. Uh, two platinum records uh, traveling around the world with chuck berry and and my goodness many more things and uh, so i want to i want you to introduce yourself what you're up to and we're going to be talking about why you've been waking me up for the last few days
1: uh so nice to be here well you know my big love is how to make people feel better how to teach them how to be happier and i guess initially um most of my life that's been done through music and um Over the years, I've intensely studied uh, really the art of happiness and how to be a happier person. And one of the most important tools in my toolkit with that for myself has been learning uh, mindfulness meditation. So I've gone from being a full-time musician to now uh, working full-time with my company, uh, uh, taking mindfulness into the world.
0: And, of course, you have a lovely voice. Um,
1: So many music...
0: Would you say from the beginning, when you started playing music, it was about getting into people's minds already? Or did that sort of come a posteriori? Because, you know, as you're, let's say, when you're a teenager, we don't necessarily have a full vision of everything we're doing. Because you were a classically trained musician at the very beginning.
1: I think when I was younger, I was very, very conscious of different types of music and how they made me feel. And I was absolutely crazy about ABBA. And I used to listen to them from when I was um, very, very young and get almost quite euphoric off listening to them. And I, I was quite aware that they made me feel happy. So I saw the power of, of things to make you feel happy. I, I listened to a lot of Leonard Cohen when I was uh, from about the age of 12. And I guess with him it was more that he helped me to feel understood so I saw that you know with music there were there was all sorts of places that you could go and for me it's always been about connections so uh, these things made sense you know and there's there's nothing more wonderful than getting on stage or performing for people and for them to feel happier or or touched or you might even unlock emotions in them that um, they haven't accessed for either a long time or I remember once performing and there was a woman whose mother had died four months earlier and she said to me she hadn't cried until uh, when I started singing and talking about some of the songs. And it was the first time she'd cried since her mother had died. So I'm really aware that music is so powerful in the way that it can can shift us and and it can help us feel connected and, and feel understood.
0: That's a beautiful thing. So tell us, Monique, um, I mean, obviously, this mindfulness came a long time, It began a long time ago, but you only launched it uh, in 2015, as I understand. Tell us your journey of of moving through that. I mean, there's so many stories to you, it's hard to imagine we're going to get all the best of the stories. I want to talk about the Dalai Lama as well, but how did you come up with this idea of launching your The Ten Minute Mind?
1: Well, I've been studying meditation intensely now for over 15 years, and my big thing was uh, I was I was living in India doing a music project for His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and I was down in the south of India where there was a lot of yoga being taught, and there were a lot of young Westerners there learning yoga. And one day, these two girls came to me, and they said to me, listen, we know that every morning you're on the rooftop meditating, and would you teach us? and I said absolutely not because when I was younger, I had taught violin and guitar to primary school children in New Zealand and literally hated every minute of it and thought, you know, there's absolutely no way that I'm a teacher. So these two girls persisted and persisted until finally I relented and said that they could come up the following morning and I would just show them a couple of things. And they came up and I I really enjoyed talking to them about why meditation was so important to me. And the following morning, there were four of them, and the numbers grew. And before I knew it, I was teaching thirty people every morning on this rooftop in the south of India. So, as time went on, I, I did it over a number of years, going in and out of that part of India. And you know, a lot of them said, you know, when we go back to our countries, which were everything from Australia to um, Germany to England, you know, we really wish that. We could have something that uh, we could have you with us, and so I, over time, as things quietened down a little bit for me work wise, and I had a little breathing space. I sta- I started uh, creating some tracks and and tested them, and then finally took them to University College in London, which is one of the the top ten universities in the world, and um, and we ran some extensive trials. There, and they were unbelievably successful and you know I, I guess I hoped to make a good product but i I found I was making a product that was really deeply touching you know young people, which is amazing, and you know the, also the staff at University College London were also using it so um, I realized I was onto something that was that was special and uh, and important. So, you know, things are growing, and uh, a lot more people are hearing about the program, and it's um, about to be launched into its 26th university. And yeah, things are going great, and and it's making a difference.
0: So, uh, I want to get into that in a moment, but let's. I mean, there's the the need for the fly on the wall. What did the Dalai Lama teach you? What is the thing that he reached into you and and transmitted?
1: Well, I think that the biggest thing that um, he's taught me is that happiness is not outside of myself. I think... um, That we're constantly bombarded with images and media and advertising that says to us, if I just have this thing, if I just have this job or if I just have this girlfriend or if I just have, you know, this car or this house, I'm going to be happy. And what happens is is that momentarily there's a spike in our happiness, and we do feel happier for a moment. But in a very short period of time, we go back to that place of happiness that we sit at all the time. And so what I've learned from him is that, you know, you c- it really doesn't matter on, on a on, – on like a 90% level, what happens outside of you. It's how you experience things and how you react to things that dictates whether you're going to be happy or not. And so, you know, I could give you an example of you could wake up in the morning and it's pouring with rain and one reaction could be, oh my God, I'm so happy it's raining, particularly if you live in California like I do at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy it's raining. We need the rain. It's wonderful. Or or you could look out and go, oh my God, it's raining. I hate the rain. I wish it wasn't raining. This is going to cause me so many problems. So you're sitting in one experience and depending on your reaction it is dependent on uh, how happy you are with that external circumstance. And so, if you look at this very deeply, you you start to realize over time, and this is where meditation is so unbelievably helpful, that you're really just made up of habitual thought patterns, that we're constantly thinking the same things. We act from habitual ways of acting. It might be my habit to wake up and see that it's raining and feel really down about it. Mm-hmm. Or it might be my habit to see that it's raining and be overjoyed. And if we can use Uh, tools like meditation to shift our habitual patterns and train our minds, then we can completely change our experience of how we are in the world.
0: In your 10-minute sessions, you very quickly talk about the anchor. So I didn't have, I've never had any training otherwise, and so I, I had to make my own interpretation of what that anchor was for me. I would like for you to tell me what do you mean by the anchor? And the second part of that is, to what extent you go to your anchor even when you're not meditating?
1: So basically, the art of meditation is very simple. All we're trying to do is stay in the present moment. Now that is an unbelievably simple thing when I say it, just to stay in the present moment. But to do it is extremely difficult. So All we're doing is we're finding something to bring us here into the present moment. So let's take, for example, our breath. We might use our breath. And so we start our practice and we start breathing and we keep our mind on our breath because that keeps us here in the present moment. And then after like usually a couple of seconds when we're starting, we find that our mind is completely somewhere else. And so we use the breath as our anchor, to bring us back to the present moment. it could We could go to a concert. We could choose to meditate in a concert, and we could use listening to the music as our anchor. We could sit outside and listen to the birds chirping as our anchor. So it's whatever we use to, to bring us back to being here in the present moment when our mind goes off. So that's why the anchor is so important. And in our everyday life, the way that we can use that is when we do something. So for example, you might eat a meal. And one of the things that they say is you can really lose a lot of weight if you eat mindfully. So what you would do is you would just really concentrate on chewing or swallowing or breathing as you eat. And and so all you're doing is using that to bring yourself into the present moment. And if you can bring yourself into the present moment and train your mind into doing that consistently, your stress levels and your anxiety levels decrease and your happiness levels increase. Because what happens is is that you realize that all these things that you sit and indulge your mind with really are just passing thoughts. They're like clouds in the sky. And if you can just let them be and relax your mind and just stay focused on something in the present moment, then your stress and anxiety naturally starts to dissolve. And I think in the world that we're in now, that's got to be one of the most desirable things. Mm.
0: So amongst the reflections that I was having as I prepared for this interview was um, 10 minutes. So I studied sleep, and, and, and the fact is that we sleep an amount a number of hours. It's based on the 24 hours that's imposed on us as it pertains to the sun and the moon and the way that we the world operates. Yet if we didn't have these external signals, we might sleep a different number of hours per day. Because that's how we sort of predicate the way we operate. So my question about ten minutes is what kind of evidence do you have that ten minutes is the right number? Because I, I'm thinking in my mind, well maybe for some people it's eight, for some people it's two hours. And and if we were living in a in a
1: thirty six hour day, would it be fifteen minutes? Okay, I mean, that's a fair question. I have absolutely no evidence that 10 minutes is the magic number. I do have evidence, however, that if you do a meditation practice regularly, your life will change. And you might meditate for two minutes a day to start off with and then bring it up to five minutes. It doesn't matter. Ten minutes is a nice amount of time to sit and be with yourself where it's not too little and it's not too much for it to be, you know, something that's viable to do every day. And for me, as someone who who meditates daily, a lot longer than that. I would much rather that um, you started a practice of 10 minutes a day and did it daily, ideally, or four to five times a week than for me to start you on a 30-minute practice every day, which I've seen people do, uh, that you only manage to do, well, initially you might do it two days in a row and then you probably won't do it again for a number of weeks, if at all. So the whole idea is around 10 minutes is absolutely enough to see results. So, so through that, it's short enough for you to be able to do it, and it's long enough for you to be able to see results, and that's what we want. We want we want results, and it's an easy number for you to create as a habit because everybody's got ten minutes.
0: Totally agree. All right, so you're a singer, beautiful voice, and I mean, so as a singing voice. How does that necessarily translate into a beautiful voice of meditation? Is, there, is, it, is it, was, When did you discover that you had that voice? You, I mean, you've obviously had it, but did it come with mindfulness, or did you have it before? And, and what do you do to make sure that you have that sort of serenity when you're doing your recordings?
1: Well, it's funny, actually. Um, When I was a child, I uh, grew up Catholic, and I would often read at church. And my best friend's mother was totally crazy about my reading voice. So rather than me being a singer and then having a voice that translates well to meditation I think it really was the other way around is that um, you know my singing voice actually came second but I think most importantly for me with the tracks that I that I create because it's a new track every single day that we do my big thing is is that it's really important to walk the talk so it's I think we're living in a in a world now where you have a lot of people who do something for a very short amount of time and then start teaching it, and I think that what what people really relate to and hear in in my tracks is that I have a very deep understanding of what it is that I'm teaching and a and a depth of experience of practicing it. So. You know, whatever you hear in my voice is literally coming from 15 years of intensive study and practice of meditation.
0: When you do your recordings, it's fresh every day. It's a new content with the sayings. So that's a lot of research that's going into this. I mean, at least you have to think about it every time. I, I do my podcasts, my blogs, and, and I have my publication moments. So I kind of preload that. And then at one time I, I prepare the the publications what's does what a typical week look like for you and, and or at least how do you load these 10 minutes up or do you do you live them each time yourself or and do them every day or do you have your you have some publication system
1: I'm not sure I can tell you the tricks of my trade there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Well, that's fair. I, these are the kinds of things that are going through my mind. I mean, of course, you know, it'd be it, it, you know, this feeling that you give in any event, Monique, is that it feels fresh when I'm listening to it. And, and then, of course, it's adaptable to my situation in the day. I would imagine, though, if there was a calamity in the world, it, almost you feel like you would need to update it for that? Or do you do you feel like you need to bring in the, the other world? Or do you always want to just keep it within the individual's agenda of the day, even if there's some other massive calamity that's come around?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, with your other questions, I think that you need to meditate more because clearly your mind's running away on you, <laughs> sitting there worrying about such things. I'm only teasing. Um, I think that it's a mixture. I think that you know to practice every day is really important but i also think that when big things happen it's vital to have some guidance as to how you can integrate this into into your practice and so you know in the last couple of years there have been a couple of of big things that have happened that have been deeply upsetting for people and um it's been important for me to uh, actually, I write to my students and I talk to them about how they can use that situation within their practice. And that is, you know, been so gratefully received by my students because the most important thing is, is that meditation isn't just about sitting each morning and, and doing this practice. It's about how do I take that into the world when things are difficult, when things are stressful how how do i actually use this thing that i'm doing every morning to have a different experience of these stressful situations and on some levels when you learn meditation that become that comes very very naturally it Things just start to change, and you see that your karma, you see that your relationships are changing, you're less reactive, um, you know, and, and you you feel more positive and happy. Um, but sometimes, when big things happen in the world, it's really vital to have someone say to you, Okay, I, I understand that you're freaking out right now, but this is a way that you can look at it, and this is a way you can bring this into your daily practice so that when, while well, Everybody else is is losing it. You can actually stay solid within yourself because that's what I'm teaching you. You're a musician,
0: and I noticed, even though I tried to relax, there's music in the background, you know. And uh, so I, I, I look at this at two levels. Of course, you know, I'm doing the meditation, but I'm also thinking of, of Monique, the producer, the, the person driving this thing, what animates her, and I, that's that kind of animates me. That kind of thought. So as a musician. How much is it a pleasure and a struggle, or a struggle, to create the music that's the backdrop to that? Because in the end of the day, that is more than your voice in in the amount of content that you provide.
1: Well, it's nice, you know, because I give people the option every day they can listen to their track with or without music. And so I know if someone's chosen to... um, take the track with the music, you know, that there's a, there's a deep responsibility there to find uh, that place that is going to relax and inspire them with that music and give their mind somewhere to go and somewhere different to go. So, I, I mean, for me, those tracks, I actually was um, in uh, a retreat, a closed retreat for two weeks in a room by myself up in... And the foot, foothills of the Himalayas, and uh, that's where I did it. Uh, so I felt like I was in a deeply inspirational place, a, one of my favourite places in the world. And so that felt a really appropriate place to create this music. And I feel that it holds the energy of the Himalayas, which is just so such a sacred place. Um, so to be honest, it was really, really joyful making the music. Lovely. All right. So uh, this is a world that's not um, alone for you.
0: There are others who are doing mindfulness. And so now you're in a competitive space, uh, at least to say that at the very beginning, there might have been a sense of collaboration and it's a new space and we're all in it together. I was wondering to what extent that is still reigning. Or do you feel that the competitivity, despite the fact that we have a common objective, has started to creep in?
1: I don't even contemplate it. I think about the fact that uh, every day there are people who connect to my program. And it's a little bit like, you know, you go to the doctor and you're going to see a doctor and we we each have our ailments and a doctor doesn't write the same prescription for each of us. So I'm a real believer and we each have to find what it is that resonates the most with us, what it is that's going to help heal us the best and you know obviously for a lot of people the 10 minute mind is uh is one of those things that really creates huge shifts in their life but it's not for everybody just just as lots of things you know even music you know we all have different tastes so I'm a real believer and I don't see any competition at all I just feel like um the world really, really needs healing at the moment. Um, we're really moving towards a crisis with um, stress, anxiety, and depression. And you know, the more people who can step up and help, be part of that shift, and, and showing people how they can do things differently, then I, I'm just I'm I'm overjoyed for every single person that's helping in that process.
0: So I, I, I saw the testimony from a number of students and teachers at UCL at, in, the, in the trial you did there, and now it's obviously in so many other schools. And I got to thinking, uh, I wasn't in meditation mode, I was <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, gosh, the students need it, uh, the teachers needed it. And it got me to think about how many people and what are the varieties of people needing. And then the subplot within that was your, your, your female voice and your femininity as a you know, that whatever that means in society, as opposed to a masculine voice, do you have data that shows that you 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 work better or somehow, or at least are more attracted to, or others are attracted to you more? That shows that you know more children, boys, girls, w- teachers, men, women, I mean, or and other groups. Any anything you can share with us on that?
1: I think that, um. Like across the board, not not my program in particular, but across the board, women uh, and girls are more drawn to practices like this. They just are. It doesn't mean that there's not a lot of guys that do it, but women have a natural propensity for, you know, all kinds of practices with the mind and spiritual practices. Um, they just do, so so you 'll find in you know all of these kind of realms that you have more women doing it, uh, which is really interesting, which is why you know it would be wonderful if there were more women in positions of power because we're we're more inclined to look at these um, you know issues of kindness and compassion and you know, I'm, I'm deeply fortunate to come from New Zealand, where we've just had uh, the most wonderful prime minister elected, who is talking about kindness and compassion. And, you know, she's the youngest female prime minister in the world. And she's saying, you know, we need to measure the success of our government on the wellness of our people. And and I, I hope that with this shift, with the Me Too movement, uh, you know, with with the shift hopefully away from a deep-set misogyny that's in politics, certainly in America right now, that we will see, um, you know, we're seeing already a, a backlash here in America of more and more women are standing for the midterm elections. And it's going to be very fascinating to see more and more women, you know, taking positions of power because I feel that that is what we need right now. So it's no surprise to me that, yes, there is more of a bent of of women doing these practices, but I I deeply encourage men to because I think that, you know, it's it it's vital that we all do, and um, and maybe it's just that you know it's more acceptable for women, but I yeah I I hope that you know more and more people all around realise that you know the mind the mind really is the ordering principle, and if you can if you can train your mind, then you can completely change your life.
0: Some people might say, "Tame the beast." From uh, so I'm a man who studied women's studies at university. And of course I was the only man. And, and the funny thing, my observation was at the time we were reading things like uh, Dr. Deborah Tannen, you just don't understand men and women in conversation or men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And inevitably what I discovered was that it was only women that were reading it and they were like, uh-huh, sure. Whereas if a man ever read it, I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And in the the sort of the, the, the underlying plot is that you have that compassion, women, to understand even the other side as well as oneself. And, and the underwriting thought for me is that women kind of already get it, and and the ones who need it are the men, who need to sort of get in touch with their feminine side. That's, you know and, and understand compassion and empathy.
1: I'm no expert on gender politics so I really am not one to talk about it all I can say is that from a human perspective we're in a place now of deep disconnection from ourselves and so it doesn't really matter whether you're a man or whether you're, whether you're a woman the issue is is that we are disconnected from ourselves and from each other and that's why practices like the 10-minute mind are so vital because it gives us a period of time every morning to actually connect with ourselves and you know um, there's a famous saying by a French philosopher whose name eludes me right now is you know man's greatest problem is his inability to sit alone in a room by himself and I think that if we can if we can you know connect again to ourselves and each other or at least have some period during the day where we do that we will um, be able to have much more stable and happy lives and i i think that that's not gender specific at all
0: so i'm going to put on the business hat for a second you've got a a site uh, there's a subscription model First 10 days are free, or I think 10, 10 days, and then you have uh, something like $10 a, a month or $9 a month. Um, so I was looking a little bit at the business model. How are you, what what's, What are the insights you have in terms of how you've grown it? I mean, obviously, you're a well-known entity that helps. You know people. That helps. Word of mouth gets that way. But you still have to drive it all the same, you know, for the, the, the gaps in between. So what is your insight into how to help grow your business f- for yourself and what other entrepreneurs could take away from what you're doing?
1: Um, I guess for me, you know, there's a lot of business that comes from um, word of mouth, just have a really good product and people come. Um, and also just to partner yourself smartly with other people, I think. You know that's the biggest thing. Find find what you do well and do it. You know, um, yeah. And I, I or, or for me, always, always, always take care of everybody. You know, you never know where where someone will help you in return for something that you might have done for them years and years and years ago. So, you know, it's a great it's a great ac- uh, practice and kindness and compassion.
0: So you have your site, which is where people sign up for it. What is your approach to the app stores and and the the, the other distribution? Because you say at one point, I read an article that said that tech is a part of the problem. Uh, And yet tech is also, in this case, a part of the solution. So how do you, in terms of aligning yourself with other tech, uh, because that's obviously the helpful way to distribute your product?
1: Oh, it's really simple. You know, I th- I just think we have to have a, a mature relationship with tech. And it's one thing to, to use it to create benefit for yourself. And it's another thing to not be able to put it down because you're addicted to it. And I think um, if you look at almost everybody, you would see that to some degree they have an issue with their technology. So... Um, you know my my program um, comes through on email uh, so it's a yeah it's not specifically connected to your phone, but obviously you can you know you can listen to it through your phone and yeah, I just think I just really encourage people to to just to just be conscious of the way that they use technology and and just to see when I get uncomfortable feelings and emotions do I first thing I do is it do I reach for my phone and if you are. Just to start gently working with that in a, in a really, you know, really gentle way just to look at it and observe it and then over time see if, you know, you can do something different rather than, rather than go for your phone. But, I mean, we live in a world now where, you know, I'm here at South by Southwest and I'm, you know, I was just in a session where both people on either side of me were just scrolling through their phones the whole time. So, you know. It's a little bit disruptive when you're around that, but that's where the world is at right now. And if we if we are one of those people that's always on our phone, look at your happiness levels. Like how you know, I like to measure happiness levels from one to ten. If you're if you're sitting around a five or a six um, consistently, and you're not, I like to think that people would be a seven to a nine. That that is totally realistic. If you're if you're under that. You know, one of the things you might want to do is look at your relationship with technology because I promise you, if you shift your relationship with technology, you will find that your happiness levels actually increase.
0: In terms of expansions, I'm wondering where you're thinking because right now I think of it as a 10-minute moment and with Sophie, we've been doing it in the morning. That's how I kick off. Are you thinking of expanding into sleep? Uh, I know there's meditation to make improve sleep, and then my sort of other thought was: this is not a platform we could actually improve people's technique. You know, mobile manners, digital manners. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could finally just also? By the way, turn it off.
1: That's very funny. Um, the way things are going, yes, we're we're about to trial some um, some sleep stuff at UCL because sleep is a massive problem for people but the next project that i'm working on actually i'm writing at the moment is um a course uh about uh increasing your happiness levels because i think this is uh, such a big problem for people and they they don't they don't actually know that through um a series of habits you can actually uh change you know your happiness levels so my website for the program is the Ten Minute Mind, and that's a one zero, the Ten Minute Mind. And you know, you can come and be be part of that. And um, hoping by May that this new happiness project will be up and running, and um, you'll be able to be part of that as well, because um, that too is life changing. And I think at the end of the day, we all just want to be happy. So if we can, you know, take a little bit of time to just to change a few things about ourselves that we don't realize are creating levels of our unhappiness or to add things into our life that are going to increase our levels of happiness, then I I doubt I could think of anyone who wouldn't want to do that.
0: Beautiful, Monique. Thanks for coming on the show. So your your site and your app, are, or your emails, anyway you log into are on the Ten Minute dot com. Any other way that you like to get the message
1: out, uh, or any way other to follow you? Oh, just I mean, it can come on Facebook, but you know, come to the website. Try the program out for ten days. See how you like it, and. Uh, I'm pretty sure you, you'll you find that it's incredibly helpful.
0: Right, so I think the, the terminal se- sentence is something along the lines of go out and and spread the joy, or, you know, there's some wonderful words you always say. Uh, what would you like to finish with?
1: Go gently in the world. Love
0: Thank you, Monique. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button, or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sax's finger paint.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way.